good morning. It's good to see you all. Good to be here with you and worship. I appreciate so much this opportunity. It's good to have Woods back among us. We've missed him for two weeks. And given the fact that we had a Christmas holiday thrown in there, it's actually been three weeks since uh, some of us have been with him. And so we're glad to have him back. Glad to see you this morning. It's good to be together in the Lord's house. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts. And the angels waited on him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. They were two great teams. Either could have won, and both would have deserved to be national champions, but of course one team had to win, and that team was the University of Alabama Crimson Tide. Asked after the game what he had told his struggling players at halftime, Coach Nick Saban said, I told them if we go and have poise and focus and execute like we do, that is who we are. That is who we are. That is who we are. Identity matters, doesn't it? A sense of who we are. If we are to succeed at anything, we must have a clear and positive and healthy vision of ourselves, and we must stick to it. Woods mentioned earlier that many of our young people are away for the retreat this weekend, and one of the themes of their gathering is their identity in Christ. And hopefully they are learning and becoming committed to remaining true to God's vision of who they are. For they certainly are tempted by so many alternative possibilities for their identity. Last Sunday we celebrated the baptism of the Lord and in the baptism, we were reminded that this is who we are. In his baptism in the Jordan River, Jesus claimed his identity. He claimed his destiny as the beloved of the Father, the Messiah in whom the kingdom of God was present. In his baptism, Jesus claimed his identity and his destiny as one who would enter into his messianic reign through the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection. And by submitting to baptism, Jesus rejected all other possibilities. He decided there and then that he would do the Father's will and purpose for his life and nothing else. He heard the voice of the Father affirming him. He saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him in bodily form 
as a dove of peace. His baptism foretold the tearing apart of the Trinity in his suffering and death. It foretold the glorious recovery of the three-in-oneness of the Trinity in his resurrection. Baptism was the decisive declaration of who Jesus was and what he was to do. And from that moment on, he would live into that possibility and none other. We said last week that we are marked in baptism, that our confirmation of our baptism marks us as followers of Jesus. Baptism declares our identity as beloved sons and daughters of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, we submit to, the, to a life of death and resurrection. We die to the old. We are raised to the new. We die to the false self. We are raised to the true self that is in Christ. And when we remember our baptism, we remember who we are and whose we are. So that the greatest need we have, the greatest challenge we face, is always to remember to never forget who we are and whose we are. Last Sunday in the traditional services, I shared with the congregation a helpful practice that someone shared with me. A spiritual leader once suggested to a group of us that whenever we encounter water, we should remember that we are baptized. Or if we haven't been baptized, whenever we encounter water, we should remember that we can be baptized, that God has called us to a life of discipleship. So last week, when the cold rain was falling, I remembered that I am a baptized follower of Jesus. Over the long course of our life, of course, remaining true to God's vision requires more than just these useful mental reminders. It means exercising deep and courageous faith in times of stressful testing. It is in the testing that we choose to be a follower of Christ when so many other alternatives may seem to be true, may seem to be reasonable, may seem appealing. Mark tells us that immediately after his baptism, Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. The language there is almost violent. The, the, the verb in the original language means to throw. A literal translation of this would be that the Spirit threw Jesus into the wilderness. The intention is not malicious, of course. It is rather that by compelling Jesus to go into a barren, destitute place to face the adversary, the Spirit is preparing him for the life that he is to lead. It is for Jesus a testing of necessity. It has to happen. Jesus must make good the promise that is his identity, that is his destiny. He must live into this reality that the Father has declared at his baptism. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke elaborate on the specifics of the temptation of Jesus. Mark just generalizes, summarizes. During Lent, I'm going to lead a Bible study on Wednesday night on those specifics of those temptations. But for now, it is enough to say that the devil proposes alternative ways for Jesus to become Messiah. 
ways other than by suffering death and resurrection. And in every case, Jesus must stand firm and be true to God's word. Jesus begins at the beginning by remaining true to God's vision of his life and by rejecting the devil's clever and beguiling deceit. It is the same with us, sisters and brothers. Our identity in Christ, our destiny as people of Christ, is not something that exists apart from who we are and what we do on an everyday basis. Our salvation is not some legal formality that's worked out at a distance for us. The grace that saves us is a spiritual energy. It is a life-changing power. It is a relationship with the living Christ who loves us into becoming the very ones that God made us to be. And in that kind of life, there is inevitably a certain amount of testing. I want to focus for just a few moments on some of the most fundamental kind of testing. And for this, I go and borrow from the founder of Methodism, John Wesley. Many years ago, John Wesley preached a sermon he called The Designs of Satan. And Father Wesley said that the first thing Satan would like to do is to convince us that full salvation is neither possible nor necessary. The devil would have us settle for a stillborn salvation. A salvation that does not include the recovery of our spiritual birthright. You see, we were all created in God's image, every one of us. But because we are sinners, that image becomes distorted. Because we are sinners, we fail to thrive as human beings. And that image doesn't become all that it can be. It is obscured. It is distorted by sin. And the devil would have us believe that it can never be reclaimed. But the gospel is that we are saved for that very thing. That the goal of salvation, the purpose of salvation, the end of salvation is nothing less than the full recovery of our spiritual birthright. Nothing less than holiness. Nothing less than sanctification. Nothing less than to grow spiritually until we are able to love as God loves. Mature love. Love of God and love of all that God has made. This is who we are. This is who we are to become. This is holiness. It is to love as God loves. And nothing less is acceptable.
And the devil would like for us to believe that it's not possible or not necessary. And if the devil can't trip us up on this point, then said John Wesley, then he will surely try to trip us up on the next. If we hold fast to our baptismal identity, if we hold fast to the vision that God has for us as people who are destined to become like Jesus in our actions, in our affections, if we refuse to settle for anything less in our understanding of who we are, then, Wesley said, the devil will attack us by reminding us of how far we fall short of that goal. Satan will cast as much doubt as possible, said Wesley, and will try to get us to question whether we really are Christians, given our poor showing. The accuser will want us to doubt that we will ever make it to the promised land of full salvation. The adversary, said Wesley, will try to rob us of our joy and of our peace by convincing us that we have fallen so far short that we ought to just give up. What's true of us as individuals is also true of us as a church. We fall short. From the perspective of the clergy, we see the shortcomings often. And we be can become so critical. We can become so discouraged about what we are not that we can lose sight of the one who makes us what we are. And this is a test that we can only pass by deep faith. And here I think we have to be honest with ourselves and with God. The truth is that we cannot prevail by our own strength. Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A better translation would be, lead us not into the time of trial but save us, deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's Prayer gives us all the room we need to acknowledge our limitations, our weaknesses, our fears, and, and, and we cry out, Lord, I am not Moses, I am not Mary, I am not Peter or Paul. I know myself, save me from these trials that are too much for me. Jesus teaches us to pray in that way. And then when the testing of our faith comes, we fall again and again upon the grace that has begun to save us in the first place. We rest in the reality that we are God's beloved sons and daughters. We give thanks that, the, that God has begun to do a good work in us and we are confident that God will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We trust God and not ourselves. 
John Wesley said that we should turn the devil's accusations against him. If the accuser points out our failings, we should acknowledge them and say, yes, I have failed. But I trust in the forgiveness of Christ. And I trust in the power of Christ by which I will one day overcome all. Here's how Wesley said it. Daily growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and going from strength to strength in resignation, in patience, in humble thankfulness for what you have attained and for what you shall attain. Run the race that is set before you, looking unto Jesus, till through perfect love you enter his glory. There are many things that stand out in that statement, but one word spoke particularly to me. It is the call for patience. It is the challenge of being patient with ourselves and of being patient with one another. Of not giving up, of not giving in. Of taking the long view. Of remaining steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is never in vain. Not one thing is wasted. This is who we are. We are many other things as well, but this is who we are fundamentally. This is our soul. This is our truest self. This is the self that will live forever with Christ. And to be true to God's vision of who we are, Is what we are called to do day by day over the course of our lives. I think about that, that Alabama football team there at the end of the game. And there, was, there were many reasons to give up. To just feel defeated. And yet they didn't. They believed in who they were. And that's just a, a temporal example, a crude example, really, of the faith, the perseverance, the fortitude that is called for and that is made possible to us by and through Jesus Christ. And we come to this table as less than perfect people. And we receive the gift of the body and blood of Christ. And in that we receive the assurance that we are forgiven. That we are not bound by our failures. And we look forward to the coming of Christ. When we shall feast as his heavenly banquet. And in that we shall be all that God has made us to be. And so as 
individual believers, as families, as congregation. We hold firm. We are steadfast. And we never give up. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that often we have failed to be an obedient church. Often, Lord, our faith has faltered. Our knees have grown weak. Our hands have been feeble. Our hearts have melted. We are not strong in and of our own strength. But you are the God whose property, whose character, whose essence is always to show mercy. And so we come praising you for your forgiveness, claiming it as the source of our life, of our identity, of our hope, and looking forward to becoming all that you would have us be. So accept us, Lord, as we accept you. And as we give thanks that you have made us to be like yourself. Through Christ we pray. Amen.